You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Well, this is not what any homeowner wants to see, but it's what several Vancouver homeowners are cleaning up from right now. A major water main break in the Oak Street and 29th area, flooding a number of homes tonight. Global's Jennifer Palma is live in Vancouver for us. And Jennifer, what's the latest at the scene there? Well, luckily the water has dissipated on the roadway. I can tell you that it was about a foot to two feet high in some places, if you can imagine that. And right behind us, they're about to get underway uh, the work to remove the pipe that had this what's being dubbed a major failure uh, when this water main break happened. It took place around 2 p.m. at Oak and 29th. Some people were home, so they were able to hear the water running into their basements. When they got down there, of course, they saw that there was flooding again, about a, a foot or two of water. There will be a lot of people, though, that still don't know that their homes have been affected. As they get home now from work, they're going to have a bit of a surprise. Again, that took place around 2 p.m. Now, what happened here? Basically, there's just old infrastructure. These pipes are hitting about 100 years old, this cast iron, and 12 of those homes were affected by this water main break. I'm told that the actual segment that is, uh, or the break is about five meters in length, so it is significant, which is why there was such a large amount of water. Here's what some of the residents and what the city told us today. It's sort of like a river going on, like so much water to it. And now it's controlled, like then it was coming out, like the earth was shaking like, like somebody pounding a hammer on it. And you see all the backfill, like bottles and everything is coming out from the ground. Like you can see all that, it's, it's still sitting on the ground. Five out of the six houses on the block, their basements were very flooded. So we went inside and helped them. And now the crew did a good job. I mean, it, they cleared it up pretty fast. I think everyone's okay now, but... There's definitely going to be some insurance claims made. And as far as the 12 uh, the dozen or so houses that have been affected, we'll be working with the residents. Not everybody is home right now, so we're going to be waiting to see them coming back and see how we can direct them to contact the city and make some arrangements for... Uh, to talk about a claim and we'll recommends that homeowners contact their own insurance providers to see if they can maybe get some help and relief from any flooding that may have happened to their homes as for when this work will be completed well they're hoping to have it fixed by sometime overnight so it's going to be a while before people get their water back home but hopefully in the next few hours or even after midnight back to you all right let's hope it's quick thanks very much jen palma in vancouver now Many other parts of Vancouver are still drying out as well after an overnight deluge caused flooding in a number of areas. And as Grace Key reports, it could have been a lot worse if not for the dedication of some residents who jumped in to help. After a night of intense rain, Vancouver City crews spent the day at the Southeast False Creek Neighborhood Energy Utility Building pumping out the floodwaters. About 25 millimeters of rain came pouring down in about two hours. Drivers abandoned vehicles and roads were shut down. The city got hit with 128 flood calls and 49 reports of property damage. The rainfall was intense and it was concentrated and it was more than parts of the system could handle uh, based on design and the leaves were also hampering the effectiveness of the system overall. 
Katie and Evan took charge during the storm in a truly Canadian way. They grabbed a hockey stick and started driving around town looking for floods. They spent more than an hour clearing six drains from leaves and garbage. Last year I drove by somebody, two people in the rain. Yeah. And they were doing this. I thought, you know what? There you go. People. That is what a hero looks like, you know? Yeah. Like, that's what people should be doing in times like these. The city agrees. It spends more than a million dollars a year collecting leaves and says it can easily spend double that, but doesn't believe it's the best use of taxpayer money. So Vancouver reaches out to the public with its Adopt a Catch Basin program. Check your email inbox for your welcome package. Then let the Catch Basin care begin. This one is um, Dunbar Dino, not one's Dunbar Dragon. Debbie Price has adopted and named three catch basins in her Dunbar neighborhood. There are 45,000 catch basins in the city. Get involved in your community. It's a small community thing. Take responsibility. With more rain in the forecast, the city says it will continue to have crews out around the clock, but it's making a plea for neighbors to help out. Grace Key, Global News. Quite a scene on Highway 1 in Burnaby during the afternoon rush today. Hopefully you weren't caught in it. A vehicle was fully engulfed in flames along the side of the road eastbound near Sprott Street. Uh, it appears the driver was directing traffic around the site until fire crews arrived. This happened just after 5 o'clock this afternoon and as you can imagine, created quite the backup of traffic. And it's almost back to normal now, but winter weather on the Coquihalla Highway created chaos up and down the route yesterday. Snow was in the forecast, but crews say they weren't expecting as much as they got, anywhere from 10 to 20 centimeters in some parts. The storm caused at least one accident and forced the stretch between Hope and Merritt to shut down for nearly three hours. There was also a problem with the system designed to warn truck drivers to put on snow chains. We have made sure that the, the conditions are much tougher. We're expecting that the contractors to get clear much quicker. We're also bringing in new rules about uh, chain up and about uh, snow clearance. I'm hopeful that uh, this winter will not see a repetition of what we saw last winter. Yeah, the transportation minister also has some measured good news for people who rely on bus service to travel around B.C. The government says private companies have stepped in to cover more than 80 percent of the routes abandoned by Greyhound. But there are still eight sections of some routes that haven't been picked up, including Cash Creek to Kamloops, Dawson Creek to the Alberta border, and Hope to Creston. Given that uh, Greyhound said that it was losing a lot of money every day in B.C., how can you be confident that the fares will indeed be affordable? Well, this is something that the operators will decide themselves. They are the private sector. They are going to make a fair market decision on whether they're going to be able to make profit or not. But this is, uh, this is how the private sector works. The provincial government says it's working with the Passenger Transportation Board to fast-track any applications from private companies to pick up the remaining routes. Greyhound service in B.C. ends pretty quickly on Wednesday. Another complaint tonight against a Vancouver cab company, this time from a customer alleging homophobia on the part of a driver. The victim, who performs in drag, accuses a yellow cab driver of not only refusing to pick them up, but of hurling insults as, they drove, or as the driver drove away. Sarah McDonald reports. 
Staring in character is where Berlin Stiller is truly in their element, and the Vancouver drag artist has waged a lifelong battle against homophobia. It brings back feelings, you know, I lost my family because of my homosexuality. I fought so hard and so long to be able to live my truth. Which is why they say their experience with a local taxi company over the weekend was not only discriminatory, but ironic. My friend went to go flag him down the street and he swerved around him and screamed effing. Yeah. Stiller says it happened outside this Vancouver nightclub early Sunday morning when they tried to flag down a yellow cab taxi. The driver not only refusing to pick Stiller and a friend up, but also calling them a homophobic slur. I was like, did I hear that right? And he's just like, yeah, that was the cab driver. Yellow Cab says it is investigating, working to identify the driver and to determine if the vehicle in question was in fact one of theirs. Why are you not driving me home? It's the second time this month the company has found itself at the center of controversy over the alleged actions of its drivers. Speaking in defense of their employees after this footage surfaced. No, don't come near me. Don't don't come near me. Recorded at the height of a dispute over a driver's choice en route. An incident the female passenger called intimidating but one yellow cab calls company protocol to be surrounded by seven other men and be intimidated was completely terrifying now the company has found itself back in the headlines again and for all the wrong reasons incidents like these we require these cabs to take us from point a to point b safely driving the ongoing debate over ride sharing and the lack of it in bc sarah mcdonald global news and a Port Moody woman has posted video of what she says is a cab driver refusing to take her home from downtown Vancouver. We can't deny a cab ride. I'm asking you to take us to Port what Moody. What do you mean I can't deny? The video shows the unidentified driver telling her and her friends that Port Moody is too far. The driver tells her he'll drive them to Coal Harbor and the Olympic Village, but no farther. At one point, he threatens to throw them out if they continue to complain. Your job is to drive people You don't from tell me what's my job. Yeah, that is your job. Please. To drive people from point A to B. Yeah, I'm not going to go to Port Moody. What are you going to do? Okay, what's your name? You're going to force me? I'm not going to force you, but what I'm you just gonna asking you. What are you going to do? You're going to go complain? Just go yeah, complain. Yeah, I, I am going to complain. Yeah, just complain. Okay, I will. I wanted to record it this time because it's happened to me and my husband so many times, so many friends of mine it's happened to and it just needs to get put out there and put out there and repeated and showed like this is what we deal with. We can't get home. Sky trains are closed at 1.15. How do we get home? Flesher says it shows once again that the provincial government needs to find a way to bring in ride sharing. Bike theft was once considered something of a minor crime, but with many two-wheelers now worth thousands of dollars, it's become a big-time problem. As John Wall reports, some Metro Vancouver police departments are being recognized as world leaders in fighting the growing bike crime wave. After traveling about 400 kilometers, this bike is heading back into the right hands. He lives in Prince George, uh, was on vacation in Penticton. Um, him and his wife are mountain biking and yeah, they actually cut it, cut the trailer hitch right off the back of his pickup truck. The stolen bike, which belongs to John McCluskey's friend, was recovered in Vancouver's downtown east side, caught up in an elaborate criminal network and lucrative black market. These bikes almost immediately jump postal codes. 
because they want to avoid detection from the victims, from local bike shops that might be alerted to it, or local agencies. You don't have to look far to find other victims. When you park your bike uh, outside, you, you see all the locks hanging because all the bikes are already stolen. Carbon, 20 speed, racing bike. Hey, what do you want to say? And even if found, many would end up at auction with no way to reunite the bikes with their rightful owners. That is until the Project 529 app and registration program came online. So you basically build a small dossier on the bicycle, and should the bicycle go missing, our software helps you get the word out. And just to give you an idea about how well this program is working, in just three years, Project 529 now has 800,000 searchable bikes worldwide. I hear daily uh, about some fantastic success stories of bicycles that have been recovered and we can find out who the owner of the bike uh, actually is. The homegrown solution even being recognized by the World Bank as a model to help reduce similar thefts in South America. The program works, it's, I mean, it's, yeah, there's, there's proof for it. <laughs> a hit to the criminals hoping to sell this bike on the black market. Instead, it's heading back home to Prince George. John Hua, Global News. A little more than a week after B.C.'s civic elections, residents of Peachland in the Okanagan finally know who their mayor is. A judicial recount was held today after the first recount ended in a tie between the incumbent and the challenger. Judge Ellen Burdett and five election officers conducted today's recount. And after several hours, the new result is still a dead heat. And so the winner had to be chosen in a random draw. How polite. Incumbent Mayor Cindy Fortin immediately congratulated by the runner-up, challenger Harry Goff. So she continues as mayor after one of the closest races in B.C. history. Congratulations, Mayor. Just over a month now until the deadline for all ballots in B.C.'s electoral reform referendum have to be in. If you're still confused, you are not alone. Both the advocates of keeping the current system and those pushing for proportional representation instead have at times played fast and loose with the details. Global's Richard Zussman separates the facts from the spin. It's a new ad from the Dogwood Initiative. Homes being destroyed, people dying of overdoses, all things the organization alludes to can be solved by changing the electoral system. But is that true? We're losing a lot of the nuance that is really there. It's not as simple as the, those videos make it out to be. Under proportional representation, First Columbians are being are inundated by ads. Another, We've this time from those against PR, with power start shows goose-stepping soldiers and the group had to remove an inaccurate line. We just wanted to make the, the ad to make sure that the ad was accurate, which it now is. But as I said, proportional representation allows small parties, single-issue parties, extremist parties into the legislature. We're just saying hi to folks about proportional representation. The confusion hit a peak on Saturday when Advanced Education Minister Melanie Mark failed to explain the details of the proposed new systems. With all due respect, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not an expert in this, in this field. Today, clarifying herself. I did the best I could in a, in a moment um, of representing an opportunity to British Columbians that is going to make their vote count. Elections BC has nonpartisan information on their website, 
But as question periods show today, there are still unanswered questions about how many representatives there will be in each region and how they could be replaced. I wonder if any of the members on the other side could explain, could explain under proportional representation how a seat would be filled in a by-election. If they feel they have enough information to vote in favour or against a PR system, then they're going to do that. But is there enough information to make the tough voting decision? There's a series of trade-offs we make about what kind of democracy we want, and, and that takes time to really to, to nail those down. Time that's running out, with ballots due back at the end of November. Richard Zussman, Global News. An update now on two puppies who were rescued yesterday in Mission, where they'd been trapped for four days. Hi, puppies. The two St. Bernard Cross puppies are doing much better tonight than they were yesterday. They were plucked from a bluff on the side of a steep hill by Mission Search and Rescue volunteers, even though animal rescues are not part of their mandate. The animals are in fairly good shape, albeit very hungry and tired, and it's still a mystery as to who they belong to and how they ended up on the cliff. These puppies are a handful. They're having an absolute time here. Uh, the staff and volunteers are, of course, head over heels in love with them. Um, they've made themselves right at home. Um, they're currently staying in, our, in one of the dog kennels that we've made very comfy and very nice for them. So they're kind of staying in the, the royal puppy room, as we've so lovingly called it. The puppies are estimated to be about 16 weeks old and will be held for four days if no one claims them they will be available for adoption. The SPCA has one piece of advice though for any would-be owners, these dogs are going to be very big. Keep that in mind on the news hour. Right now though, Vancouver's most treasured green space is facing an uncertain future due to climate change. With warmer weather and rising tides, experts say parts of Stanley Park are in real danger. But as Linda Aylesworth reports, work has already begun, hoping to minimize the impact. Oh yeah, and look, are those a pair of buffleheads? Yes. Woo! Yeah. Welcome back. The beginning of the fall More duck migration is upon us. It looks like a, there might even be a pair of scoters out there. Oh yes. Biologist Angela Daniluk couldn't be happier. I'm a bird nerd. I love them, and Vancouver is a great place to see them. And I especially love the beach. The beach, because the well-being of seabirds and many other birds depends on the area between high and low tide, the intertidal zone. The intertidal zone is like the nursery, the kitchen, and the home for a ton of birds, uh, fish, invertebrates, and other plants. But there's a problem. Climate change is causing sea levels to rise. By 2100, it'll be one meter higher. Here at Stanley Park, which is surrounded by a seawall, that means it'll always be high tide. No intertidal zone. Vancouver is on the Pacific Flyway. That's one of the most important stopovers for millions of birds. They come here to rest and to feed. If we lose that intertidal zone, we could lose the birds. Where will they go? Then there are the effects that hotter, drier summers, wetter falls and warmer winters will have on the forest. We're already seeing some tree species in Stanley Park not doing so well. The broadleaf maples and the cedars uh, that are water-loving trees didn't fare quite as well this past hot, dry summer. Studies on how to best preserve Stanley Park have been underway for years. And that might mean planting different species that are adapted to warmer, drier summers, wetter in the winter. 
Of course, it's not too late to put the brakes on climate change. So I want to remind people that this habitat, this diversity that we have, it could go away if we're not careful. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Right now, it's a problem that affects a number of older vehicles, and it could be one that catches up with you, too, if you drive this brand. Andrew is here now with one woman's very frustrating experience. Mm -hmm. We're talking about a Toyota model and a long-standing issue. Thanks, Chris. Mm -hmm. Tampering with an odometer to change the mileage is a crime, but fixing one or trying to provide accurate information about the mileage is not. So you can understand this car owner's concern when her odometer just stopped working. I'm just frustrated by the whole thing. Carol Williams' 2005 Toyota Corolla has been a reliable car, but recently a glitch. Her odometer stopping shy of 300,000 kilometers. I thought it was broken, so I phoned Toyota and was told by a very pleasant receptionist with a laugh that, uh, no, it wasn't broken. It was, uh, that's as far as it went. I was just speechless speechless and inconvenience i change my oil every 5000 kilometers and i rotate my tires every 10000 kilometers and i have no way of knowing when these uh, these should be done Toyota Canada says the odometer in certain older Toyota vehicles, 2003 to 2008 model year Corolla and Matrix, was limited to 299,999 kilometers. But in order to fix it, consumers must foot the bill. Toyota Canada telling Consumer Matters, anyone whose vehicle reaches this milestone and would like their odometer to be replaced should contact their Toyota dealer directly for maintenance. Adding, we've significantly reduced the suggested price of the required parts to $150 to provide a very reasonable replacement cost for our customers. The price of service is determined by each individual Toyota dealer. I do think they should cover the cost. We reached out to Toyota Canada repeatedly asking why the odometer stops and why Toyota never formally extended a lifetime warranty for the part. But the Japanese automaker did not answer our questions. According to the nonprofit Automobile Protection Association, the odometer flaw is due to a programming error at the factory that Toyota Canada, it says, never formally admitted to. Clearly, Toyota should have extended the warranty to lifetime coverage for these odometers as long as the vehicle is on the road. As for Carol, she says she's been driven to disappointment, offered a solution by Toyota, which for her is no solution at all. And the Automobile Protection Association also telling us tonight that one suggestion for consumers in this situation is to write Toyota before undertaking the repair, perhaps even before getting to just shy of 300,000 kilometers to see if they can get some compensation. And if you have consumer issue for me, there's my email address at consumermatters.globalnews.ca. All right. Thanks very much, Anne. I'm impressed she's taken such good care of that car. All right. Be warned. The people who train service dogs in B.C. are calling for government help tonight in clearing up the confusion between service dogs and other animals. As Catherine Urquhart reports, they're worried about the lack of necessary qualifications for so-called therapy dogs. We're going to go get the glasses here. Latte has been in training for more than two years. She's a highly skilled service dog and soon will make a huge difference in someone's life. She's just coming nearing the end, and uh, she's going to be matched very, very soon. Boyer what? is also training these animals not to be confused with therapy dogs, which provide comfort and stress relief. Get it. 
therapeutic dog is not a professional dog in the capacity of they're purpose-bred for this job, they're in training for two years. Agencies like St. John Ambulance offer legitimate therapy dog programs, but with therapy dog harnesses and certificates readily available online, there's confusion. It's very frustrating for our industry because we're representing and we're putting out a professional, professional uh, service. Uh, we take great care and consideration into our dogs um, being and performing their best. What we are seeing uh, in jurisdictions, you know, right across this country, in fact globally, is what are often referred to as companion animals and there is often uh, a lack of understanding uh, on the difference between the two uh, and that is causing, uh, that's causing challenges. Last week, Global News reported how a teacher's dog bit a special needs child at New Westminster Secondary. The school claimed the dog had a therapy certificate. School boards, regulatory bodies, if they're wanting to introduce dogs into that environment, they have to go to the professionals because there has to some, be somebody standing behind that dog saying it's not going to be a nuisance or um, a concern for public safety. In November, members of the service dog industry plan to meet with BC's public safety minister. They're calling for an information campaign so there's less confusion between highly trained service dogs and therapy dogs. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Roads look more like raging rivers in Italy today, and now that flooding has turned deadly. Four men are dead after a mudslide hit a villa in the Calabria region. Heavy rain and winds are battering the country. Schools in many cities, including Rome, canceled classes today as a precaution. An investigation is underway into what caused a nearly new Boeing passenger plane to suddenly plunge into the sea off Indonesia, likely killing all 189 people on board. Key now is finding the black box that could provide some answers. NBC's Richard Engel has more. It's still a mystery tonight what caused this brand new plane to crash into the ocean. Passengers' cell phones and baggage floating in the water. But search teams haven't found any survivors. And the families of 189 passengers, crew and pilots are now facing the heartbreaking possibility. They're likely all gone. Lion Air JT-610 departed Jakarta at 6.20 a.m. for the one-hour, ten-minute flight to Pankal, Penang. The plane turned to head out over the water and was level at around 5,000 feet when the crew suddenly asked to return to Jakarta. Flight radar data shows the aircraft descending normally until the last 20 seconds when it started to descend very rapidly. I think the people on board knew there was something terribly wrong, but uh, the exact severity, it's hard to say. The plane was a new Boeing 737 MAX, a modern update of the 737, the most popular jet in history. It's the first time the newer 737 MAX has crashed. No indication of terrorism. The aircraft, according to the airline, had an unspecified mechanical problem the day before, which Lion Air executives insist was corrected before it took off. Lion Air has a spotty safety record. Along with several Indonesian carriers, the low-cost airline was banned from flying into the United States and Europe, but improved in recent years. The alleged gunman in the Pittsburgh synagogue attack has made his first court appearance sitting in a wheelchair. 
Robert Bowers is facing 29 charges in connection to Saturday's massacre. Investigators allege he opened fire on worshippers, killing 11 people, including a Canadian woman. Court documents reveal Bowers made statements about genocide and killing Jewish people. Federal prosecutors may seek the death penalty. In health matters tonight, yet another reminder to go and get that flu shot. Vancouver Coastal Health launching its flu shot campaign with medical health officer Dr. Emily Newhouse, who is pregnant, receiving her own immunization this morning. Officials say it's too early to tell how bad this season will be, but they are reminding everyone about the importance of getting their shot and get it early. It takes about two weeks for the shot to start working. The future of farming might be made in Japan. What's so special about this unusual equipment? Coming up right after the forecast with Christy. Saw lots of snow on the Coquihalla. Mm-hmm. And even some on local mountains now too, right? Yeah, so first snowfall officially today. We tried to get a tower cam shot, but uh, the... Uh Skyline or the uh, clouds are so low we can't actually see the mountains. But this is a shot from the top of Lynn Headwaters. And yes, first snowfall, a gift for you, Chris, on your birthday. Happy oh. birthday to you. Oh, I can't believe you mentioned it. Thank 31 you. 31 years old. Thank you. All right. <laughs> Everyone wants to know what it will be like on Halloween. Well, this is your forecast. Thanks to a uh, Frankenstein doing a Roger Rabbit, of course. 10 degrees and dry conditions is what we're forecasting right now. But there is a chance of showers, and I'll show you why in a second. So we're not totally in the clear. You need to keep tuning back in, and we'll give you an update on that. We talked about the heavy rain that we saw yesterday, the heavy snow on the Coquihalla. It wasn't widespread. It was pockets. Here's a good image of that. Thanks to Brad. Atchison for that, uh, just showing the pockets and how intense it can be. This is a scene out there right now. It is just dry, uh, looking like it could be wet, but the temperatures are going to drop tonight, and we still expect some snow on those highways. But the big uh, scenario really will be later tomorrow. So your Tuesday evening, that's when we're expecting significant snow on those highways once again, and that will take you right into your Halloween morning. So it's because of this system here. So that that's tomorrow afternoon for the lower mainland, south coast regions. It will be wet overnight, and then we're going to see it ease off. This is Wednesday morning, so still rain across the south coast, but then pushing out just in time for trick-or-treating hours. But I want you to note, there is another bit of moisture on deck here, so we're not totally in the clear. The timing looks like there's a window, but there is a chance that that could shift a little bit. Meanwhile, there's your tomorrow for the coastal regions, looking at rain, inland regions, that nice little break for you, whereas for the south coast, by the afternoon hours, we'll see the rain. That will take us into our Halloween morning. At this point, a chance of showers Halloween morning, but drier later on, keeping our fingers crossed for all the little trick-or-treaters out there. And this amazing shot from Delta, Chris, uh, this is a blueberry field, and uh, bald eagle happened to land right there. Robin caught a photo of it, and here's him uh, flying in. Oh, going in... Uh... Going in for a mouse, maybe. Keeping an oh, eye on maybe. Yeah. an eye out for, for the mice. All right, thanks very much, Christy. Beautiful shot. All right, farming, blueberry or otherwise, may be a long-standing craft, but some Japanese farmers and engineers are attempting to bring it into the future. They're testing a new self-driving tractor system. It's all part of a move towards smart agriculture, which aims to bring together robotics, drone technology, and even artificial intelligence. The tractor is controlled through GPS and moves within just a couple of centimeters of accuracy. It also measures the harvest, making it easier for farmers to ensure quality. 
So far, the combine has only been tried on rice, and it remains to be seen whether we'll be seeing the driverless combines on fields closer to home mm. anytime soon. But interesting test of the technology. To ask my Uncle Don about that out of the farm in Manitoba. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I've got a cousin with a farm in Manitoba. Yeah. Before we get to you, let's talk a little bit about last week, which was the third annual Variety Week here on Global, where we shared stories of children with special needs who've been helped by Variety, the children's charity. It was a huge success. We found the perfect way to celebrate down at Robson Square on Friday with a big wrap party. We were so thankful to see so many of you down there. We want to thank our matching sponsors, White Spot Restaurants, Will Webster and the R. Howard Webster Foundation, Connect Hearing, and Maple Ridge Chrysler. And we want to say a special thanks, a special thanks to you and everybody else who donated because we raised more than three quarters of a million dollars for Variety. Outstanding. That's going to help 306 children with special needs across the province. So thank you so much, British Columbia. That feels mm. very good. And every, right. and every penny stays here in our province, right? That's right. All of our kids. Yep. BC kids. Happy, okay. uh, happy, what, 40 now? What does 40s look it's like? It's 40 something. I yeah. lost track. Good job, my friend. All right. Squire Barnes and Sophie Louie mm -hmm. are emceeing the Webster Awards tonight. You got to deal BC's with me. Nominated. We'll see how we do there. Um, and Jay Janauer is in for Squire. Thanks, Thanks birthday boy. Much appreciated. Uh, sure. Evening, everybody. Vancouver Canucks and Minnesota Wild at Rogers Arena tonight. Five straight wins for Minnesota. Canucks, of course, shut out 5-0 by Pittsburgh on Saturday. The game marked the return of Brock Bester and Elias Pettersson, both playing a shade over 19 minutes. A bit much in their first game back from injury, according to Travis Green. You know, I thought I might have overplayed them a little bit the other night. I mean, but I, I think when they're both playing and they're on their game, you know, you know that's probably about where they can play. Anywhere from, you know, at the beginning of the year, I had to find out about Petey. Uh... And he's playing, I thought he's, you know, he's played exceptional. Uh, is there going to be nights where maybe he's not on and he plays 12 minutes? I don't know. We'll, we'll wait and see. Travis said he thought maybe he played you and Brock too much on Saturday because he's the first game back. He's still trying to find a sweet spot. What do you think minutes per game you're capable of for the rest of the season? Oh, uh, interesting question. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I want to be... If I could play, I would like to play 60 minutes per game, but uh, that's not possible. But uh, I don't know. That's not a. I don't know what to answer. How about 28? The Sedin's uh, farewell tour was about as good as it gets. Yesterday, though, Alfonso Davies played his final game in a Whitecaps kit. It was glorious. The 17-year-old scored twice, could have scored three goals. He showed off his world-class skills once and for all before heading off to Bayern Munich. While Alfonso Davies was saying goodbye to Vancouver, fans in Munich were getting ready to say Guten Tag to their newest acquisition. But at least it was a fantastic farewell, allowing BC Place to smell like teen spirit one final time. Leaves it for dead, and now it's Tui Loma who's in the way. It's going to be Alfonso Davies all the way! start to finish the fans is always you know they've always supported me and when I got the news um, signed with Bayern Munich you know I just wanted to wanted to make things special coming in this game um, knowing it's my last game for Vancouver I just wanted to leave with a, with a positive feeling super proud of Alfonso couldn't have ended any better than it did. He played outstanding, and uh, I'm happy 
it was it was a good night for all Whitecaps fans. And despite the Caps not capitalizing in Alfonso's final year by making the playoffs, he is forever grateful to his teammates. Um, they just wanted to you know give me the ball as much as possible and and do what I do, and I couldn't thank them more you know for pushing me every day in training, and also you know off the field as well, teach me you know all the all the professional habits. And even though his on-field performances might make you forget he is still 17 years old, his answer to the question what he was thinking about before the final game will certainly remind you of his age. You went to bed last night. Did you picture waking up and, and scoring one today? No, no. I was actually watching Fortnite before I went to sleep, so that was running through my mind. Mm, Whitecaps players and President Bob Lenarduzzi are going to meet with the media to discuss the season that wasn't tomorrow. No playoffs for the Caps this year and arguably an organization with no clear direction. Caps only have 10 players under contract for next season. Changes are inevitable. Just how many and how deep remains to be seen. There's a, there's a great core group of guys here. And, you know, when you see us on the field and you see and I'm around them uh, training all the time, there's a good group of guys. There's a good group of men. And, and I'm not talking about athletes. I'm talking about people. There's a good group of people in that locker room. And I think that's the most important thing to build around. That's a foundation. Talent, uh, your ability on the field, those are all extras. But I think we do have some good guys, a group of good guys in that locker room, a core group of guys. That being said, we didn't make playoffs this year. So some things do need to change. And, and they will change. But that's the nature of the business. Premier League, the pitch at Wembley in full-on recovery mode following yesterday's NFL game between the Eagles and Jags. Spurs were hosting Man City. Only marker of the match, Riyad Mahrez. Wenger was playing with a heavy heart following the death of Leicester's team owner in that helicopter crash on Saturday. Of course, he played for Leicester from 2014 until joining City this season. City remains unbeaten. They are top of the table. Here comes a 1-2 pitch. Yeah, the best team in baseball won the World Series in five games. City of Boston will celebrate with another World Series. The parade will go on Wednesday. Former Blue Jays cast-off Steve Pierce was the unlikely MVP. He hit three home runs, had eight RBIs. You know, this is a, this is a you know, the greatest feeling of my life. Uh, for for uh, when you're a kid, you know, this is where you want to be. And, 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 it's, and it's happening right now. This has been a lifelong journey, and uh, to be here right now is, is, is a dream come true. It takes a lot of teamwork to do what we do, but it takes even more when it comes to keeping passengers safe at Vancouver's International Airport. Part of that team is the YVR firefighters. And as Squire Barnes found out, tackling a blaze on a tarmac takes a very special set of skills. These specialized fire trucks and the people who operate them are some of the best trained firefighters in the world. But nobody at YVR ever wants them to have to use their skills in an actual emergency. But if there was one, they're ready. Training here never stops with the crew. They're always doing some form of training. The training is about accuracy and speed. We're actually mandated to get there as quickly and safely as we can in three minutes or less with 50% of our water gone. You know, when you think of a, a 747, for example, has a little over 230,000 liters of fuel on it, okay? So our initial attack will be hitting uh, 
whatever we have in front of us with absolutely everything we have as quickly as we have. What they have on each truck, which weighs 120,000 pounds, is 4,500 gallons of water plus foam and dry chemicals. On low flow, this is 600 gallons of water per minute, and on high flow, it's 1,200 gallons a minute. So we have the ability for this truck at 4,500 gallons of water to be out of water in less than three minutes. In addition, there's a camera that can peer inside a plane, and if the fire is inside the fuselage, they can use what's called a schnozzle to get at it. So if we can't make entry into the aircraft because it's impacted and it's damaged to where you can't open doors and stuff, we can literally pierce the aircraft and, and shoot water and foam out of the little holes that you can see there. And to help the fight, the schematics of every plane coming and going from YVR is within the truck's computer system. And they can call up the ident of the aircraft and it'll tell them exactly where batteries are, the throttles, all that sort of stuff. They can get all that information to them at the touch of a button. Hopefully all their non-stop training is never put to use, but if it is... The training is non-stop, has so to be sharp. Those men and women in there are the best you got around best, the world. Yes, I would put them up against anybody. Driving some mm. pretty cool vehicles around too. The schnozzle, do you get it? Sharp nozzle. nozzle. The schnozzle. And how many chances do you get to say that word on TV? Really, <laughs> yeah, not none. enough, I say. Uh, okay, uh, snow in the hills, local hills, which is a good early start, maybe? Yeah, it sure is nice to see, although we can't really see it because of all the cloud out there. Uh, tomorrow we're going to start off dry. We'll see rain through the afternoon hours. That rain will take us into Wednesday morning, and we're still hoping that the break happens right at trick-or-treating hours tomorrow. That would be nice. Okay, yes. fingers crossed. Fingers crossed for all the nominees from Global BC down to the Webster Awards, too. Hopefully we've got some good news to report tomorrow. Have a great night.